0: Colossians chapter 2 is where we are. We'll be focusing in on verse 8, but I'd like to begin in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, And the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The Apostle Paul penned these words because it deeply troubled his spirit that precious children of God were being led astray. They were being robbed of spiritual blessing and fruitfulness in Christ because of false teachings. And we see his heart come through throughout chapter one but then even in the verses that we read how his heart longs for them. He's not met them face to face but he's heard reports of their faith and their hope and their love and he longs that they would be knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance in Christ. And so his passion, his heart, his overwhelming desire is that believers be rooted and built up in Christ. That everything that they believe be rooted in Christ, growing out of all that we know about Christ based upon his word. And so we find him warning the listeners or the, those who had this letter first publicly read to them in the churches in Colossae. And he says in verse 4 that he is saying this so that no one may delude them. He does not want them to be deceived. He does not want them to be led astray. And then picks it up again in verse 8 as far as the warning is concerned. So last time we were in Colossians, we camped out in verses 6 and 7, which were really the positive expression of what it means to walk in Christ. Verse 8 is a negative warning. This is what we need to watch out for. And so his warning to them remains a warning for us. Which brings us to our big idea this morning, which is this. We who are in Christ must guard ourselves from worldly teachings that detract from our completeness in Christ. Those who are in Christ, that is those who are saved, are united with Christ. We are placed in union with Christ by our faith. We are united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. We are now secure in him. This is our new identity. We once were in sin and in the slave market of sin and in the family of the devil, but now our new identity is we are in Christ, we are in freedom, we are in the realm of his word and his righteousness, which we are called to walk in. And yet the devil is always working to deceive and distract us, to delude us away from the centrality of, of all that is true reality where Jesus Christ remains the center. If you look back uh, with me at verse 28 of verse uh, of chapter 1, you'll notice that this means that part of my job is not only to teach you, but also to warn. You see that we spent some time in that verse many weeks ago. But notice, Him that is Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There are perhaps some people who want pastors who only teach. But that's not the full job, Paul says. Warning and teaching. So there are times in which pastors are called by God to warn their flock against false teachings. And we do that as we come through certain passages of Scripture and it's clear and obvious that that would be an obligation on my part and an application for your sake. And so verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul is setting all of these man-centered teachings apart as being not according to Christ. So there is Christian teaching that lines up with Scripture, and there is anti-Christian teaching, which does not line up with Scripture. It's really the two categories. There's truth, and there is error. Uh, Let me draw your attention to three false ideas uh, this morning, just as we're getting into the text. And and these are three ideas, three among many, of course, but these are three that I think have become particularly destructive in the church. I've seen this in the personal Christian lives of uh, God's people. Number one, our feelings have more authority than Scripture. That's a lie, and it's a dangerous lie, but it's often seen Obviously in the world, but the problem is it too often shows up in the church Our feelings according to God's word do not have authority over scripture Our emotions are a gift from God. Yes, and we're so thankful for that But they are not reliable because they are affected and impacted and influenced by our depravity we are totally depraved, as the Bible teaches, from the tip of our toe to the top of our head and everything in between. All that we are has been affected by sin. And so our emotions, as much as we appreciate them and we navigate and, and seek to align them with truth, they do not have authority in our lives they should never sit in the driver's seat of our lives scripture alone should be sitting in the driver's seat of our life guiding directing having authority over how we think and how we act and we find that our feelings so often lead us away from God's word and so we've got to rein them in We've got to say, wait a second, you know, Paul, I have to say to myself, wait a second, Paul, that anxiety that you're struggling with, what does God's word say about that? That anger that you're feeling right now in your heart that's welling up, what does God's word say about that? And so always truth is to be impacting our being. Secondly, another lie that is becoming more and more popular in our day and unfortunately, in professing Christian churches, is that our identity is self created or invented by us. It is not determined or received from God. We see this all over the place. And like I said, unfortunately, it has crept into the church. And now some of the chief proponents of this new philosophy are professing Christians, which is so incredibly sad because today's world places an unbearable burden upon people especially young people to reinvent themselves based upon their feelings you were born a boy but if you feel like a girl then you should be a girl because your feelings have authority your feelings are the supreme authority in your life the problem is this reinvention of identity is too heavy of a burden for any human being to carry. God did not design us to carry the weight of determining who we are. And so we need to look at identity as something that is a gift from God. It's a gracious gift from God that takes into consideration how finite we are, how limited we are. Identity is not self-created or reinvented by us. It is a gift from our creator who then when we get saved becomes our redeemer. What a beautiful truth this is. That as our creator, God says, you are a beautiful creation made in my image. And then when we come to know Jesus, he says, you are now in Christ. You are redeemed, adopted, beloved child of God. And the enemy can't touch you anymore. Yeah, he can make your life miserable, but he can't get you because you are being held in the hands of the Savior. A third common idea that is a lie is that we sin because we are victims, not because we ourselves are sinners. And this we see everywhere, and again, in the church as well. We sin because we are victims, not because we ourselves are sinners. Now, all of us have very hurtful things that have happened in our past, whether we brought them on ourselves or they were inflicted upon us by other people, we need to understand that those past hurtful events are not determinative. They don't determine our future because in Christ we are not victims, we are victors. And God in Christ can help us to work through and overcome whatever it is that has been so painful that we have experienced in our past. The hurts that we go through impact and influence us, but they should not ever be allowed to control us. In Christ, we are free you know, this just draws attention to the ancient human problem uh, of blame shifting. It's it's the blame game which feels good. Let's be honest, it really feels good when we shift our responsibility to someone else. But in the end, it hurts us. The more we do that, it hurts our relationship with God and it hurts our relationship with others. Yes, other people who have hurt us should take responsibility for their own actions, but we are not God, and we cannot make them do that, and we must come before God as broken and humble sinners ourselves and say, Lord, no matter how I've been treated in the past, no matter how I'm being treated right now, by your grace, I can respond in a way that glorifies Jesus. There is horrible suffering in this world. Life is very good and life is very painful at times as well. But Christian, listen to me. As painful as some of your trials have been in the past or even maybe now, they don't determine your identity. Your suffering is not your identity. Your identity is in Christ. And in Christ you are a victor. Over the pain that you experience. Now, these are three of the common false ideas that I believe are hindering believers from growing to maturity in Christ and experiencing the fullness of joy that Jesus wants for us. There are also major categorical lies in our culture that have been welcomed by many in the evangelical church. You won't see them up on the screen, but let me just draw your attention to this outstanding new book from Rosaria Butterfield, uh, which we'll have copies of in the Resource Center next Sunday. Um, This is an excellent book whereby uh, Rosaria uh, skillfully uses scripture to confront and to correct what she calls five lies of the anti-Christian age, which are homosexuality is normal and she speaks into this as a former lesbian and former advocate of gay rights who was saved by the grace of God and has for decades now been a pastor's wife and so she speaks with grace and compassion but with boldness and truth secondly being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian words as long as you're just a nice person it doesn't really matter what you believe feminism is good for the world and the church number three she again speaks from her personal experience but looking through the lens of scripture transgenderism is normal it's the fourth lie that she confronts and number five modesty is an outdated burden that serves male dominance and holds women back. So again, we'll have copies of this in the Resource Center next week for those of you who are interested in tackling that. It's a good read. It's not a very difficult read, though the content is difficult um, because of the subject matter. Now, of course, there are many more false teachings and lies that are damaging to believers today. But this is at least a sad sampling of some of them that are hurting so many Christians. It at least gives you some handles to hold on to as we work through the warning of the apostle in verse 8. Now notice with me please that in verse 8 we see four warnings that we should heed. Number one, be cautious of the very real danger of being kidnapped by false teachings be on constant alert that's what see to it means in verse 8 see to it be on constant alert watch out for those who bring a false message into the church see to it that you that no one among you that no one takes you captive the word means to spoil to to lead or carry away, to kidnap. Robert Gramecki says it this way, the heretical teacher is like a slave trader. He wants to steal the believer away from his spiritual family and sell him as a slave into false doctrine. That's the goal of the false teacher. And yet believers, all of us together, are called to see to it that we are not kidnapped by false teachings, worldly philosophies, the things that he warns about in the rest of the verse. Uh, turn back with me in your Bibles to the left to the book of Acts and Acts chapter 20. I know I've referenced this passage a number of times, especially when we were going through first, second, and third John. But I want you to see this for yourself because this is a weight that I and the rest of the elders here at Cornerstone carry upon our shoulders and take very seriously and only by the grace of God are we able to faithfully carry it out. But Acts 20, the context here is Paul is ready to board a ship to sail away uh, from Ephesus And so he speaks to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he says in verse 25, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul knew that this was his last journey. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's saying, I leave you having a good conscience, having a clean conscience that while I was among you, I faithfully taught you the word of God. And I'll never see you again. Therefore, he says in verse 26, I testify to you. This day, that I'm innocent. Why? Because I did not shrink from teaching the whole counsel of God. Not just one little piece of theology, but the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention. Here it is again, this warning to be on the constant alert. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So elders have a responsibility to pay attention to their own theology, their own Christian life, but also the theology of those who they are responsible before God to care for. To all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We are caring for people that Jesus died for. That's Paul's emphasis. I know, verse 29, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Those who are sanctified. Paul gives this weighty charge to the elders in Ephesus and then encourages them by saying, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That is, the word is sufficient, his grace is sufficient for elders to carry out the responsibility that they have been given. So, together, all of us are responsible to stay on the alert. Elders as well as church members. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2 because there's a second warning that we are called to heed. And that is, be careful to avoid the means the enemy uses to ensnare believers. Avoid the means the enemy uses. And here in verse 8, Paul mentions two means of taking believers captive Notice he says that believers are ensnared by infatuation with man's so-called wisdom. So he's saying, be careful. Be careful to avoid the means the enemy uses to ensnare believers. Be aware that Satan is on the move All the time, working, trying to destroy believers' lives. He is, as Peter says, like a lion who is crouching and creeping and ready to pounce. You must understand this. As Satan hates you, he hated you before you became a Christian. He hates you now more than ever because you are now in union with the one he hates the most. And so we must stay on the alert. We must guard our minds and our hearts from the lies of the devil. Believers are ensnared when they become infatuated with man's so-called wisdom. Look what he says in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Philosophy isn't a bad word in and of itself. It's simply, it's a compound word that means the love of wisdom. So philosophy itself is not evil. It's what that philosophy centers on that determines whether or not it is true Christian philosophy or anti-Christian philosophy. Uh, Richard Chin says it this way in his Bible study Philosophy is literally a love of wisdom. And it is simply the study of how people think and why they think in these ways. Thinking about how people think is a good and helpful thing to do. What Paul has in mind is to ensure we are not being captured by wrong thinking, that we are not being captured by lies. And so here the word refers to the so-called wisdom of man that was leading the Colossian believers away from their sufficiency in Christ. And Paul says, it's, it's empty. He says, it, it's empty deceit. These are hollow theories that hold no lasting substance. And they're deceitful because they present themselves as being like, this is the enlightened teaching. The, the, the Christians who are truly enlightened understand these things. The rest of you normal, common folk don't get it. And Paul says that is an assault on the sufficiency of Christ in whom we have union. We are in union with Christ. From Socrates and Plato and Aristotle to Kant to Nietzsche, man has been attempting to understand the meaning of life apart from divine revelation. And we can never do that. We'll never be able to understand the meaning of life apart from Scripture. So, Christian philosophy grows out of Scripture. And has Christ at the center. All of the world's philosophies continue to change. And and they just go through cycle after cycle of being replaced by the latest one. And it's tiresome sometimes for pastors and leaders to see Christians and churches perhaps. That just seem to be always infatuated with the latest new fangled Truth. Let me say to you, if truth, if you hear about a truth that's newfangled, it's not true. Okay? Because true truth is old. It grows out of this ancient, permanent, inspired, inerrant book given to us by God. Secondly, though, notice that Paul says believers are ensnared by the elevation of man-made tradition. See to it, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Now, notice, Paul is not concerned about biblical traditions, but what he's concerned about is the elevation of tradition over the word of God. So he's not concerned Concerned about traditions that grow out from Scripture, he is talking about man made traditions that are elevated to be at least equal with Scripture or above Scripture. William MacDonald writes this The tradition of men here means religious teachings which have been invented by men but which have no true foundation in Scripture. This is the kind of tradition that Jesus confronted the Pharisees about in Matthew 15 when he says, what the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Jesus answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So the Pharisees say to Jesus, why are your disciples breaking our traditions? Jesus says, well, why are your traditions breaking the commandment of God? Why are you willing to disobey God just for the sake of keeping your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you have, would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. See, what the Pharisees were doing was was they were keeping their material wealth away from their needy family members by saying, oh, well, I've dedicated this to God. This is God's. I can't possibly give it to you. And Jesus says, hogwash, hogwash. He says, says, that is honoring your tradition above God. And, And more than that, he says, your tradition has made void the word of God. You've nullified the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men so there's this elevation of human tradition to the same level of authority of script as scripture or even above scripture that is one of the means that the enemy uses to ensnare christians there's a third warning we see number 3 be conscious of the demonic source of false doctrine False doctrine finds its roots in the enemy himself. Jesus called Satan the father of lies in John 8:44. Now the world is filled with liars, but what the point here is that the ultimate origin of deceitful false doctrines is the deceitful lying nature of Satan. And all of his demons. And we saw this repeatedly last year when we worked through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But let me give you a couple other warnings from New Testament uh, writers. Paul says to Timothy, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. See, look back at verse 8. As Paul is saying, all of this happens according to the elemental spirits of the world. I studied that phrase a lot this week because. There's a difference of opinion as whether or not that means just elemental principles of the world, but it really does seem to fit the context better and the way the word is used in other places in the New Testament to understand that Paul is saying here that these false doctrines are fueled and spread by demons, the elemental spirits of the world. He's warned about the deceit of spirits already earlier in the book. John exhorts us, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. These captivating doctrines are fueled by the elemental spirits of the world. That is, Satan and the invisible forces and his demons that are given a certain amount of leeway in this world. As Satan is referred to as the prince and the power of the air and the ruler of this world. God has given him a long leash at this point to do his wicked Work, but somehow it all mysteriously falls under the big umbrella of God's sovereign and good plan that will be worked out in the end. Don't be held captive by lies that don't line up with scripture, because if you do, you are actually being held captive by Satan. That's the warning. There's a fourth warning, and that is to be committed to the superior wisdom of Christ. This is really the the climax of the verse, is that last phrase, and not according to Christ. That's the biggest issue here. Philosophies, teachings that are not rooted in Christ, his person, and his redemptive work. So there's a sense in which we could say That the gospel is the big lens that we look at teachings through and determine is that a teaching that exalts Christ or is it a teaching that exalts man? Is it a teaching that says God is sovereign and you are not? Or is it a teaching that says you have independent authority over your own life? Doesn't Matter what God says. Two totally different spheres. Philosophy that is truly Christian centers on Christ. Uh, Pastor Ed developed this last week really well from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me remind you of some of the verses that we studied together when he was teaching. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, that is through man-centered wisdom, through human wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. See, that's a Christ-centered wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. To those who are called, that is to believers, called by God through the gospel, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We live in a war. We live in a spiritual war. And the true church has always understood that. That in this age, we are the church militant who is looking forward to the day we are the church triumphant. We are in a war. And the war is at the level of ideas, philosophies, teachings. That's where the war is. Do not let false teachings ensnare you and keep you, hold you, kidnap you, and spoil you from experiencing the fullness of joy and life in following Christ. We need to stand strong by the grace of God. Some of our older hymns carry this message, this the church militant concept. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe, the enemy, does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. When Jesus returns... He will return as the triumphant judge and he will declare himself with this name, the word of God. And that word shall fell, destroy every lie that the enemy has ever spread. Stick with your Bibles, my friends, please stay close to your bible let the bible drown out all of the other goofy and just downright wicked lies that are being spread in this day and age father help us we pray thank us thank you so much lord for giving us your word it is truth with a capital t it's not just another philosophy that's supposed to be put on the same level as other philosophies and, and we pick and choose what in the Bible seems to fit what we want to do, but it is your Word. It is your inspired Word. It is your authority for our lives. So give us grace, give us courage to stand strong in this age of deception and may unbelievers in our lives see a light in us that causes them to scratch their heads and wonder what makes them different than the world that we live in that we may adorn the gospel do your work in each of our hearts Lord you know by your spirit what each of us needs the most And I pray you would take your word as it has gone forth and accomplish the work for which you sent it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.